This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 51 of the Best Seeds Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in Orange County, California, to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. As always, thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. She's doing a lot of really big things, so make sure to go over and give her a follow and check out her tunes. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it. It helps other folks discover it as well. Go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. And as always, housekeeping reminder that you can get early ad-free listening to each and every episode more than five days before the general public by going to Patreon.com slash TheBestSeats and signing up at an amount that makes the most sense for you. Episode 51, hot on the heels of the 50th episode. I hope you enjoyed that one. Episode 51, I'm fired up for. I am going up. We uh, I recorded this up in Venice, California um, about two weeks ago, sitting down with the team behind Benny Boy Brewing. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that, well, it's because they're brand new and they're not officially open yet. Depending on when you're hearing this recording, they may be. But at the time, they had just wrapped up their crowdfunding initiative. I'm very happy to say that that was a success and they were able to hit their goals. Um, but they are basically launching a big, beautiful new cider, beer, beer garden, some, you know, minor liqueurs, kind of like Pomo and stuff like that. Like basically a gigantic cider and beer garden place up in Los Angeles. It's going to be beautiful. It's looking beautiful. I've tasted their products. Their products are beautiful. They're both fantastic human beings. As you are going to hear in this interview, I am just so excited for this one. I am a huge fan of cider. Um, I think that it's kind of misunderstood. We're going to touch on some of the deeper aspects of it and get a little bit more in kind of the the minutia, kind of like nerdy aspects of what makes it so special and what makes it so delicious in this episode. So I don't want to take up any more time because we got a long, fantastic one and you got a lot to learn. So let's sit down for episode 51 of the Best Seeds podcast with the team from Benny Boy Brewing. Enjoy. Beautiful day in Venice. Thank you both so much for inviting me into your really, really, really awesome home back here right near the beach. Would you both mind introducing yourselves really quick and giving a little bit of background before we jump into what is a going to be a very, very exciting episode? I'm so fired up for this one. Sure. Uh, my name is Chelsea Rosetter, and I've been in the beer industry for the last five years. Uh, before that, my background is, was in uh, PR and marketing for theater in L.A., um, and we are opening Benny Boy Brewing. Uh, my name is Ben Farber. Um, I have lived in LA for the last 16 years. Um, I'm from Colorado, uh, grew up on a dairy farm there. Um, and, uh, I've just always been passionate about, um, good beer and good cider. Um, and, uh, so I decided to start making it. 
um, about 12 years ago and uh, really started to uh, develop a passion for it and, and a skill for it um, and then started doing uh, more and more research and then started going over to uh, Belgium to learn more um, and then eventually did an apprenticeship in Belgium. Um, and then we've also toured the the UK and France for uh, cider research. Uh, so what we're, we're doing is just trying to bring the best elements of the best beer and cider makers from around the world to LA. Um, and then also uh, provide an atmosphere that is uh, great to drink this stuff in, which is outside with fire pits. Well, you're certainly picking a good time to put anything outdoors um, with everything going on, especially. I want to, before we jump into kind of building this out, kind of life in Los Angeles during the past year and things like that, what sparked this kind of passion for cider in both of you and exploring these flavors? And because there's such a massive, still going on a massive craft beer boom, craft spirits boom, things like that. What put you down this path? Um, I think really what it was um, was tasting uh, cider that was made the right way. Um, and that was some, um, some English and French varietals that, um, from some specialty bottle shops that uh, aren't mainstream. Um, and when you, you taste uh, something that's made um, with the high-quality apples, and uh, that's about it, uh, you can taste the difference. So um, what I was looking for was the difference between some of the these uh, artisan ciders and like the mainstream ciders that are on most grocery store shelves, which people equate with uh, being the uh, example of what cider is. And unfortunately, that's not the case. It's sugar infused, artificially flavored um, fermented beverage, but it's it's not true cider. Um, So true cider is made with cider apples and yeast. Um, so when we tasted the, the difference in those and what it can taste like, it really opened our eyes. And uh, so it was, you know, it was the beer we, we got down in Belgium. Um, and then we realized how exciting cider could be. So we, we went back to Europe to, uh, to find out how to do it the right way. Because that's, uh, that's the, uh, the epicenter of great cider over there. We're also in a city that's very health conscious. And as a brewery, uh, first and foremost, we wanted to have a product that other people could enjoy as well. So cider is gluten-free. It's, like Ben said, very low in sugar and carbs. And it was this, like, w- when we figured out we could do beer and cider under one entity, we were so excited because we have this other offering for people to come that might not go to a brewery otherwise. Um, yeah, and uh, with the uh, the seltzer craze, um, we we look at cider as the unprocessed uh, sugar-free alternative uh, to to the very processed seltzer that's uh, being that's you know very popular right now. Well, there's such a massive boom going on. There's a big awakening about natural wine, especially up here in Los Angeles, with multiple new stores opening. Some of the best natural wine writers, I, I would argue, in the U.S. are based here in L.A. You have craft spirits, like I said, that are doing really different things, bringing back older flavors like California brandies and things like that. Is it? Do you feel like you're hitting this kind of at just the right moment? Yeah, we really do. Um, we uh, this has always resonated with us for a long time, but it feels like timing wise, we're we're entering the market um, at a at the perfect time for um, the for what people are looking for, and which is healthier for you uh, beverages. Um, and just because 
um, you know, there's small craft breweries and small craft cideries, just because you're a craft, um, beverage maker doesn't automatically mean that you're not, um, processing, uh, what you're making. So, um, being small doesn't mean you're using 100% whole flower hops instead of processed pellet hops, uh, or, um, not using fining agents like, uh, fish bladders or liquid silica, which is very common, um, even with small breweries. Um, and cider makers. So uh, we just look at it as uh, making beer and cider the way um, they did for hundreds of years um, in Europe. And uh, it's unprocessed. Uh, of course, we do it on modern equipment, um, but our equipment is uh, customized because um, most places can't handle whole flower hops in their in their processed equipment. So um, we just feel it's a better uh, method, uh, including the natural carbonation method as opposed to artificial carbonation, which is what most people do. So um, every aspect of how we make our product um, harkens back to old world methods on modern equipment. Before we keep kind of diving into cider and some of the other questions that I have about that, as far as kind of marketing and communicating it to customers, we should mention that you guys are in the infancy. I mean, your passion and the way you're speaking about it makes it sound like this is a 25-year-old brand, but this is a baby. I mean, it's it's still in a development. So we're recording this on May the 4th. I mean, describe a little bit where you are currently in the process, the build-out location, the plans for it, kind of et cetera. Yeah, so we are just finishing up demo on our location in Lincoln Heights. Um, we've been working on this project for over five years. It's been a very long journey, um, but we're so excited to finally be able to step into the buildings and see the boat truss ceilings and get a vision of where the tanks are going to go. And it's just thrilling. Um, we are also in the middle of a crowd. We're at the end of a crowdfunding campaign. Um, so we are asking our community to help us build out the beer garden, which is our most exciting part of, of the design. Um, uh, yeah, I, we're, uh, you know, we're a little over halfway funded for the brewery. Um, and we're, all our tanks have been ordered. Um, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, things in the gears right now. Um, so, uh, we're, you know, demos done, we're laying underground piping and, um, things like that. So it's, it's, uh, really starting to take off, um, in terms of the build out. Uh, and we're looking at a, an opening, um, this, this early fall. That's awesome. What's the process been like? You know, you mentioned five years, LA is not a town that gets anything done quickly. Anybody who's driven around here and seen a pothole knows that, but this last year, especially LA has been notorious, you know, justifiably so or not, depending on what people feel about how stringent it's been during kind of the lockdown treating COVID-19. There's been news stories that have hit every single outlet about businesses that have been, you know, closed while right next door, there'll be a production going on or something like that. What's the process been like this past year for you guys trying to get Benny Boy off the ground? We definitely changed from doing in-person tastings to obviously doing them over Zoom. So I've driven all around Los Angeles, <laughs> dropping off four packs at people's doors, uh, you know, building our network, getting our name out there. We've also done a lot of market testing still uh, throughout the last year. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I think the, uh, there, it's been both uh, a uh, difficult um, aspect and also a blessing um, in hindsight because, uh, yeah, fundraising in a pandemic is not easy. Um, but, the city taking uh, their time with uh, permits and all that stuff, especially with, through the pandemic, um, has actually 
um, just put us more on pause than anything else. Uh, and in a way it's like, we're kind of, we've been waiting out the pandemic a little bit and it, we're very fortunate that it did not, um, ruin our project in any way. It just delayed us. Um, so, so we're very lucky that way. Cider itself, I personally feel, even with kind of my limited knowledge about beer, wine, and spirits, is something that's widely misunderstood. You mentioned it when we first started recording. People look around, they go to buy beer wherever they're buying it, and they're probably only seeing two different brands that are cider. And we all know what the brands are without even calling out those names. You're not just launching a new product and a new business. You're also taking on an educational process. Obviously, your passion is very tangible. What does it mean to you and how do you plan on kind of educating people about what cider truly is? Because I don't, I mean, obviously, as soon as anybody tastes the product, and I should mention that, unfortunately, since everybody's listening and you don't get to do this, we are tasting it and it's fantastic. What's it like from the education standpoint to be able to share your passion with future customers? Uh, yeah, I think we have, um, so the advantage for us is uh, we have our beer um, and that is you know, over the, the years we've, we've blind market tested that in, uh, bars and restaurants under false names. Um, cause we, we can't sell it yet until we're licensed, but, uh, every place we put it in, um, th- where it usually takes a week to empty the keg, they were emptying it in the same night. So we knew the product was going over well f- for complete strangers, as opposed to having your friends over, you can't really trust their opinion on what they say with your beer. So, uh, the marketing we've, we've proven that, um, and so what we're, what our advantage is, is to bring people in for the brewery. And we also have the cider house on the same property. And so it's an education opportunity there where if they buy a beer, we're going to give them a voucher for a free sample of cider over at the cider house to let them taste what cider really can taste like. And so many tastings we've done, people have said, oh, I don't like cider. And we're like, please just give it a try and let us know. And then they're coming back for refills. So um, I think the the big um, education opportunity is having the combination there where we can teach people about what cider can be. Um, and then also making sure that our staff is uh, aware of every process that we we use to to make our products um, so that they can answer any questions. Um, I think the other thing is community engagement, um, doing apple pressings in the beer garden um, in the fall, um, different ways to bring the community in and then teach them about how it's done. I think we're also going to have um, the advantage of having different flavors available for people that are at different parts in their cider journey. So we're not just going to put the bone dry version out there and expect everyone to be like, yes, I love this. I love dry wine. This speaks to me. There's going to be people that are expecting a little sweeter product, maybe more appley. So traditionally ciders are, you know, sweet, semi-sweet and dry. And we're going to have that whole range. And we're also going to add a lot of fun California flavors because all of our products are European inspired with a California twist. So we're going to put, you know, we can dose this dry base cider with lots of different fruit variations. And I think that'll be able to bring people in who might not know they love this category yet. I mean, it sounds like there's a long-term plan, which obviously there would be with a business plan and everything else, but there's definitely a lot of passion I can see kind of in both of you for things that you're already thinking about down the road and things like that. You mentioned a lot of different activities so far, the on-site apple pressing and things like that. Describe the space a little bit more because it sounds massive and obviously it's not open yet. Maybe it will be depending on when people hear this recording, but Describe the space a little bit more and some of the other kind of plans for it as far as the beer garden, obviously, but 
kind of more of your long-term vision for the space and what people can expect when they go. So there's two buildings on the property. The larger one is the brewery. We're going to be, we get, we're going to have bright tanks right behind the bar with faucets coming out of them. So it's a tank bar. So it's like the freshest beer you can get. Super fun experience. Uh, the smaller building is the Cider House, which will also be a private event space. So that will be all of our barrel aging along one side, the tanks in the back. It'll be, we'll have um, an apple tree in the middle. It'll be very beautiful with a small little bar there. Um, and then in between is the big beer garden with uh, fire pits. We're going to have pop-up food vendors. So we'll be able to have different cuisines every night. And, you know, we're, our mission is to create this sort of outdoor atmosphere that we haven't found yet in L.A., and we both grew up in the country where you're having a bonfire every night. Everyone has a, a backyard. And we love that community gathering space, which now is more important than ever, as you mentioned before. So our longer vision for this space is, is very indoor-outdoor. There's huge roll-up doors on all the buildings. Um, and to create this place for people to come and socialize the way, the way we have for millennia, which is outside, around a fire, with a cold drink in hand. Um, Long term, we would love to be able to do um, outdoor chef dinners, so cooking over open fire, uh, partnering with restaurants. We have, um, you know, this elevated beer and cider product that we would love to pair with food and, you know, attract different chefs that are looking for that outdoor fun cooking experience as well. So for any of you chefs that are listening, please get in contact with them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's a, another element that we are going to be bringing to the cider house, um, as well, which is, uh, it's called Pomo, um, which is a French aperitif. Um, and it's made from apple brandy blended with, uh, apple juice that's then barrel aged for a couple of years. Um, it is, uh, usually runs about 17 to 20% alcohol by volume. And, uh, it is the, the most appley um, oaky, delicious, uh, aperitif that I've ever had. Um, they serve it in France all the time, all over the place in Normandy. Um, uh, so what we've already done is, uh, contracted with the Spirit Guild downtown, um, and they've already made our brandy. Um, and that is barrel aging right now, uh, so that when we open, we can blend that with juice and barrel age it in the cider house. Um, and when we've been, uh, touring some of the cellars over in France, with uh, pomo barrels in there, uh, the smell is is just intoxicating. Um, the the oak, uh, it's just you know the apples and it smells like leather and it's just it's this amazing smell in a cellar that I think uh, people are going to love in the cider house as well. So that's a pro. I'm glad you brought it up. That's a product that I'm familiar with. I, I could hear about eight or nine of my real bar nerd friends' ears pop up just kind of recording that wherever they were. Their spidey senses tingled. <laughs> Why Pomo? Is it just the passion for it? I mean, because this is not a product that a lot of people are familiar with. There's about 20 people that just hit pause, opened up you know, Safari, and they're searching this right now to see Pomo, and they probably all misspelled it. What turned you down this path? Like, what, what fueled this? Uh, I'll let Chelsea speak to, to that one. I think um, on our trip to Normandy, we were exploring the Ruta de Cidre, and there's up, you know, all these wonderful producers, and you pull up, and they have their orchards. They are orchardists. They know all about their apple varieties. They are making amazing cider, and they're all distilling. And it was like this apple trifecta that we kind of fell in love with. And it wasn't just one producer. It was like the tradition of the area. So you go to dinner, and before you go to any restaurant before dinner, you have your pomo, 
in a small glass. It gets you set up for your taste buds. You have your cider with your meal. And then you have your Calvados afterwards, which is a, you know, apple brandy product from the region. And when we, you know, fell in love with cider and we're experimenting with all these apple flavors and we figured out we could do this collaboration spirit, we were, we were sold. We love, we love this, um, this idea of you have a whole experience throughout your meal. And we thought it would be super fun to do it in Los Angeles. And so, you know, another, another reason why this last year has been a little bit of a blessing for us is we've had time to do some amazing collaborations. So getting this Palmo, getting this um, Apple Brandy project started with the Spirit Guild before we even opened was super cool because it's such a long process. And we've also been able to make um, two natural wines with Pally Wine Company. So it's given us more time to kind of explore these other craft um, avenues that we can do through collaborations, which is awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm incredibly excited to try that one at some point. That all sounds fantastic. I should mention, by the way, that every time you talk about your research trip to France, it doesn't really sound like research. It sounds like an amazing <laughs> vacation. So I'm so sorry for your struggles. You're like, yeah, yeah we have to go to the orchards and just tasting and then yeah. going to dinner. Uh, somebody's got to do it. Maybe. <laughs> and we were really excited when we came back to see that there are a lot of smaller cideries, craft cideries around California, around um, when we really started digging into Pamo that are doing this product. And so if you are a cider lover and you show up at a little cidery and they also have their pomo it's like a no-brainer you're like gotta try that part too and it's i think it's a part of the apple growing community that the more you know about apples and and cider making apples specifically like pomo is like that next step into spirits everybody thinks you know california is grape country which it rightfully kind of is but there are a lot of apples out here. I mean, there's, you know, one's not too far away from here. There's orchards and things like that. I want to talk about sourcing and kind of gathering your products like that, because I'm a big proponent and believer of terroir and kind of the differences and, and nuances and no doubt all your trips to France, however struggly they were, you definitely heard the word terroir a lot. Where are you sourcing from and what kind of variances are you seeing with where you're getting your apples? And then kind of to pack onto that, is there any certain kind of route you're trying to take with your products to differentiate? Uh, yeah, so we are working with uh, Jake Mann up at Five Mile Orchard uh, in Watsonville, uh, California, which is up by Santa Cruz. Um, and he supplies um, some some big juice makers as well. Um, but we, uh, we were able to source um, as many uh, Newtown Pippin apples from him as, as we can take. Uh, and, um, we're also going to get some Grobensteins from him, uh, as well. Uh, so, so Jake is our, he's our, our guy for the, at least the foreseeable, uh, few years because, uh, they're, they're not easy to source, uh, cider apples there. It takes some work to find them. And also, um, it's hard to find people that want to sell them because they usually want to press it themselves. So. Uh, I, f I feel like we're very fortunate that to have met Jake Mann um, up at CiderCon um, a little over a year ago, right before the pandemic hit. Um, and it's uh, some of the best apples I've ever had. Um, that being said, yeah, we do want more varietals in the future. Um, and we're working on that. And we have found some other smaller orchards that we're trying to work with on sourcing um, some different uh, varietals that will just make for more complex ciders. Um, but 
as far as starting out goes, uh, we feel like we hit the lottery um, with uh, Five Mile Orchard and supplying us with these new town pippins. Um, but long term, yeah, we we want to have uh, s- several different um, apple cider varietals going on, uh, and there's also different methodologies for uh, fermenting cider um, that we learned over in France that um, we can't start out with because it's uh, much more time consuming. So we have to get our our cider legs under us, so to speak. Um, but eventually there's methodology like keeving, um, which is a six to eight month fermentation process. Um, the slower you ferment, the more flavor you retain, um, the more sugars you retain. Uh, so there's different funner, more fun, uh, funner. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, there's more fun methodologies out there. Uh, but we, we're going to have to wait a couple of years to, to really implement those. I, I want to ask this and I want you to know that especially on this podcast, you have my full blessing to get as nerdy about this as you want, because I'm deeply fascinated. And I can only assume that if people are listening to this, they're deeply fascinated. You keep mentioning cider apples. Now to someone who is brand new to this first time having cider, what are the, what is the difference between the standard, you know, apple a day keeps the doctor away and a cider apple? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest difference is tannins in the skin. Um, and uh, that is what gives wine mouthfeel and body. Um, and it's, it's the same uh, difference between table grapes and wine grapes. Uh, culinary apples, uh, you, can get, um, you can get some tart culinary apples, um, but they don't have tannins in the skin. Uh, so uh, the difference there for cider apples is uh, there are, there's a whole range of like um, sharps, uh, bitter sharps. Those are different. Like the bitter side is the tannins, the sharps is the acid, but they're all very high in sugar content as well. Um, the other, uh, another thing about cider is that, um, uh, it, to add sugar to cider is to boost the alcohol content, but you're, um, taking away from the apple flavor in the drink, uh, as well. So, um, cider apples, a lot of, some of them have really high sugar content and you'll get up to like nine, 10% alcohol. Um, this Newtown Pippin is, uh, a, it's 7.9. And that's, so what, we're, that's what we're that's drinking what we're while we're recording? Right now, yeah. So sorry that this is an audio podcast and y'all can't be tasting this because it's really, really good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that, that's the main difference um, in terms of culinary versus versus cider apples. And there's there's a lot of uh, uh, varietals of cider apples that, are, that, that have so many different flavors. Um, from the skins and the flesh, uh, rose colored flesh. And there's, there's so many options out there, but, um, sourcing all of them is, is the challenge. And I think as cider is picking up popularity and people are understanding it more, there are a lot of younger, uh, a lot of orchards that have younger ownership or the sons and daughters are taking over that really want part of their orchard to be for cider making instead of just culinary. And so there's this, it's like the infrastructure for cider is also growing. So right now it's pretty hard. Some of these heritage orchards, um, you have to graft new, in order to to make a new variety, you have to graft. So this isn't just like, let's plant a bunch of cider apple trees and the next year you're golden. This is, you know, a very long process to be able to dedicate parts of your orchard to cider apples. So as the industry grows, as people's um, palates get excited about certain varieties like they are with wine, um, more orchards are going to be transferring over to cider apples. 
Apple's being kind of difficult to source and some of those heritage breeds that you mentioned, uh, the agave industry is dealing with this right now with tequila moving up to being, the, I think it's the number two spirit in the world. The margarita is the number one cocktail in the world, depending on who you ask. They're dealing with agave shortages. It seems every other day a celebrity is coming out with a tequila. As cider evolves the way that you both hope it will, is there any fear that then even more of kind of the big boys are going to get involved and launch their own, you know, cider, cider seltzer, cider knockoffs, whatever it is, is that going to put any type of strain on those producers, especially of those kind of heritage ones that you want to try to get your hands on long-term and, and kind of play around with? Um, I think, you know, of course I don't know the future, but if I'm going to predict how the, the big guys go and operate, they operate based on the bottom line is the ultimate um, determining factor. Um, cider apples aren't cheap. They're not easy to raise. If you wanted it to grow, if you want to do it properly, then um, they shouldn't be, um, there shouldn't be pesticides. They should be, uh, there should, there's some uh, symbiosis in terms of uh, how they are grown that you can achieve without using pesticides. All of those methods um, make it more expensive. And so the big producers are more about uh, getting the cheapest juice possible and then making up for the lack of complexity by adding artificial flavoring. I don't see them turning from that anytime soon. Um, and uh, even with with the advent of uh, this, this new cider boom, I, I just don't see them taking that route, which in a way gives us an advantage. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain, like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in. Custom built from the ground up, by hospitality professionals, Hire Lilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions, and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build-out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff are trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, it is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring. Using the promo code STAYSTRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. Hire Lilo provides on-site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go and that you can utilize all the features Hire Lilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to HireLilo.com. That's H-I-R-E-L-I-L-O. Dot com. Once again, that's HireLilo.com. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. 
They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. L.A. is such a transient city. There's so many people that are here that are not from here. It's it's the nature of the city. Obviously, that includes a lot of Europeans as well. Have you made any connections with people that have maybe tried your product or have been kind of turned on to your product? And they're like, wow, this kind of reminds me of home or this. I never thought I would find this out here. Has L.A. benefited Benny Boy in kind of any aspect of its international draw? I think for sure our UK friends and we even have an advice, a Benny boy advisor who's from the UK and he's like, this does not exist here. We're so excited to have, to be able to go to a cider house, Mm -hmm. just be able to go in LA. And I think you're right. I think, um, there, I, our intention is to be a place where, uh, our intention is to be a place where Europeans can come and feel like they can have a classic beverage without it being, um, what am I saying? I think they, uh, appreciate some of the, uh, some of the products that we make that stick to tradition that they're used to. Um, because, you know, at Benny boy, we try to be, um, as much as we can for everyone, which is, you know, um, sticking with some tradition on some of these, uh, beverages, but then also, taking those and doing a twist on it as well. So we offer both the, the more, the more adventurous um, take on some of these beverages and the traditional. I, I think we would be incredibly stoked to have a group of regulars that were also Europeans. I think that would mean that we, we implemented the flavor profile that we wanted to. For those on the outside looking in that may not be as adept with uh, cider, obviously they're aware of it. I have a lot of friends who are in the craft beer industry, right in the craft beer industry. That has been experiencing a little bit of shell shock given some of the social events of the past year with the craft beer industry seems like it can be very catty to put it kind of lightly. What is the cider industry like? I mean, you mentioned cider con. That sounds like I would probably have nothing to talk about, but I would just be so happy standing there trying different ciders. That's how I imagine myself at it. But what is the cider industry like? Because these are not big worlds. I mean, even I mentioned the agave industry, it's still very much this person knows this person. I can only imagine cider is that to the nth degree. Yeah, um, I I think you could take um, a a classic brewer um, and um, mix him with a wine snob. And then right in the middle is where the cider community lands, which is very friendly, but maybe also uh, a, like a little nerdy about um, their approach. Um, but the main focus, I think, for the cider uh, industry is fun. People love to have fun in the cider industry. It's just a, a really fun crowd. And that's going to be the goal for Benny Boy is just kind of creating that feeling of the industry, but in your own big, beautiful environment. Exactly. Uh, we take our products seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Um, and I think there's a big difference there. Uh, and what we want to do is have some world-class beverages with people that want to have fun. 
will it be dog friendly? That's the biggest question. Honestly, that's just what I came to know. It will. <laughs> we, we love dogs. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what else is exciting as far as kind of on the horizon? You mentioned the Pomo. You mentioned you know having the brewery, things like that. I want to talk about the brewery a little bit. Are those your beers as well? Kind of what is your what is your process for that? Because we've we've focused on cider a lot. We talked about the future of that. We talked about the Pomo, which is incredibly exciting. You know, I'm sure there's some other secret projects in the work, but the brewery itself, obviously that's gonna be, I think, for kind of the non cider aficionados or fans, that initial draw because who doesn't like to sit outside and have a beer, especially in a beautiful day in LA? Talk about the brewery itself a little bit in the brew house there. Yeah. Um I touched on it briefly, but now I'm gonna now I'm gonna get right into it. Uh, so when I when we started uh, really getting serious about starting Benny Boy, we wanted to make sure we did it the right way. So that meant a trip to Belgium, um, and we discovered uh, this brewery, uh, Brewery de Ronk, in the middle of nowhere, Belgium, um, and they use only whole hop flowers. Um, and natural carbonation methods and no fining, no filtering. Uh, you just chill the beer for an extra week and it clears by itself. Um, if you filter beer, it loses flavor. Um, and we, uh, fining agents are also fish bladders, um, liquid silica. Uh, we don't like that in our beer. So that also makes our beer naturally vegan. Um, and then naturally carbonating versus artificial carbonating. Um, the, most breweries will hook up CO2 tank and uh, and just blast it into the tank. Uh, what we do is after the beer has cleared and aged, we um, add a little more sugar and yeast uh, and then let it re-ferment under pressure. So like a pet nat wine where you're actually fermenting in the bottle. Exactly. Um, it's very similar to that. Um, and then uh, the, the flavor complexity from that carbonation is so much greater. Uh, the bubbles are finer, um, which it's the carbonation bubbles that impart a lot of the flavor to your tongue. So the more bubbles you have, the more you can taste of the beer. Um, this is just the way they, they brewed forever over in Belgium. Um, and it's a superior brewing method. Uh, so when I, after I did my apprenticeship, I came back and flipped all my recipes based on these methods. Um, and they were so much better just using the whole flower hops and doing these natural clarification methods. Um, so, I started developing those those recipes based on that, um, and so we, you know, uh, example of taking uh, European traditional beers like a saison, um, which is as classic as it gets. It's a farmhouse ale that used to be served to field workers um, to uh, to um, slake their thirst uh, in the fields because water wasn't safe then. Uh, so the classic Belgian saison, we take that and we our California twist on it with uh, fresh basil um, and it's just really crisp and refreshing um, and it's it's amazing for a hot day. So that's going to be the type of route that you're taking for all the kind of beer like beers on site? Correct yeah so our four core beers um, are um, Backyard Basil Saison, uh, Desert Champagne um, which is a classic German sour kettle sour beer uh, and then we just uh, take it a step further by adding prickly pear and sage uh, to it. Um, so it's this bright rosé beer that um, is a huge fan uh, with women and people that also just don't like beer. They go, I didn't know this was a beer. Um, so we have that. 
Uh, and then we have uh, Midnight Swim, which is a Belgian dark strong, um, but it's um, it's hopped like an IPA, so it's balanced, um, very drinkable. Um, and then we have Other Lover, which is a very light uh, table beer um, and uh, nicely hopped. It's very crisp. I got to pivot and ask you, and I hate using the word pivot, but now it's in all of our lexicons. What is it like living with this kind of knowledge and, and borderline obsessive, fantastic, in-depth? I mean, does he just run and burst in the room sometimes and be like, I have an idea? Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's also very delicious. <laughs> so we, it doesn't hurt. Okay. Between the R&D trips and the tries, I'm so sorry for your struggles during it's this. It's a horrible life. <laughs> Well, guys, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You're obviously very, very busy people with a lot to do as the crowdfund kind of winds up, as Benny Boy gets ready to lift off the ground. I think you mentioned it earlier in the show, but once again, do you guys have a date in mind or at least a window? We're hoping for September. Okay. And if people want to follow you guys online, if they want to kind of reach out and support however they can, where can people do that? Whether it's social media, websites, or anything like that. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at Benny Boy Brewing. Perfect. I'm going to go pet your dog and then we'll wrap up. Thank you both so <laughs> much for the you. time. Thanks Crawford. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Ooh, that is episode 51. Thank you so much to Ben and Chelsea for sitting down and taking the time. Amazing people, such nice hospitality, allowing me to come into their home and, and kind of sit down and get that episode on the books. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can get ad-free early access to each and every episode by going to patreon.com slash the best seats. Maybe that's where you're listening to this one right now. If not, you can always check them out on free feeds later on, wherever you're listening to it. It is always, always appreciated. Again, depending on when you're hearing this recording, Benny Boy might be open. They may not be open yet, but be sure to go to their social media. Keep an eye on what they're doing. Their products are absolutely delicious. I can't wait to go up and check it out for myself once it is finally open and the doors are open. Such a fun interview, such fun people, wishing them nothing but the best. And I cannot wait for Benny Boy Brewing to get his doors open. I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash thebestseats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Cheryl McCarthy, Elliot, George Pavlov, Serena Warino, Pizza Guy 92. Thank you for your support.